0: Welcome to Stacey on the Right, the podcast. This is our Newsmaker Chat, where we come together with people who have strong opinions and are actually creating analysis and directing thought on different issues facing us today in America. And I'm so excited to have our next guest with us. Coincidentally, this podcast is brought to you by FamilyVisionMedia.org. Find out more there, visit our website. Hit the subscribe button for the newsletter. All right. We have Andrew Egger, staff writer for The Dispatch. His Twitter is at EggerDC, at EggerDC. And Andrew, thank you for coming on today.
1: Hey, yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: So glad to have you here. I know um, one of the things that is interesting to me, and we've been kind of touching people in this space here on the podcast, actually with some regularity over the past couple of weeks, and that is younger individuals people who are a little closer to the action when it comes to um, how people are thinking right now on how we face different issues, namely how do the Republicans regain the majority in Congress and um, some commentary on the Virginia governor's race, which uh Lucky for me, you have all of these things that you've been writing about. And I wanted to start off by saying congratulations on having a new baby and being on paternity leave. That's a wonderful uh, milestone for any person. So congratulations on that.
1: Yes, thank you. First first new baby. So, uh, you know, I, I think when, when people go to college, that's an opportunity for, you know, like political opinions to maybe... Uh, Merge or mature a little bit, and then when they get a job, and then when they have a kid, those are all kind of sort sorts of things. So you're catching me in inflex. It'll be interesting. Uh, interesting. Maybe if you <laughs> if you had me on again in in a year or something, I'd, I'd I'd have a completely different set of opinions to give you. But but thank you.
0: You might. I mean, I remember those times. You learn a lot about yourself when you have a new baby. It it kind of reorients everything in your world in a good way. So I think you're going to really enjoy the journey. Uh, I I actually think it's a perfect time to catch you because later in a couple of years, you will have a bit more nuance to some of the things, some of them you might have already tossed out of the window. Although I kind of doubt that because I feel like you're rooted and grounded in uh, where you are in your, in your opinions. But what, speaking to this, this 2022, the congressional midterm, how much do you think um, of a kind of predictor, the Virginia's governor race this, this month that was a shock for Democrats. I think a lot of uh, us as Republicans were on the ground really hoping and praying for a change. And then you have the Virginia governor's race going in to the Republicans. 13 years of Democratic rule, and now they have everything back in the control of the GOP. Does that portend well for 2022?
1: Yeah. So the Virginia races are always kind of fun as as canaries in the coal mine for what's coming next just because they have these wacky off-year races. And you're right. It has been Um, It's been Democrats for a while. And in particular, I I remember in 2017, I covered that race and the the Republican candidate, Ed Gillespie, had a really hard time uh, in that race. Ultimately, he lost to uh, Democratic Governor Ralph Northam. And the problem at that point in time was that, you know, we were right early in the Trump years. There was still a whole bunch of kind of like Republican infighting and, and, and people weren't really sure um you know what the how the republican um kind of coalition was going to shake itself out and even just strategically it, it it wasn't clear how you could appeal both to suburban voters who, you know, maybe would lean Democrat but Republicans would still scoop up a lot of them. Um, a lot of, a lot of times these Northern Virginia counties, the DC suburbs, Republicans had historically done pretty well there. Um, and then also appealing to kind of the, the more rock ribbed base down in the Southwest part of the state, the more rural voters, um, Gillespie had a really hard time getting to both of them. And kind of what happened was he sort of just wavered back and forth and, and from a messaging standpoint, just kind of floundered, uh, and ended up losing. Um, this time around, I think the the biggest takeaway is that Republicans have the opportunity now that we're in the Biden administration. Um, you know, it's it's a blessing and a curse to be on the outside looking in of power, right? Because. Um, it's it's a great unifier uh, to not be the people calling the policy shots to be kind of the, the people presenting an alternative because you get to kind of say, OK, look, here's the way things are going on now. And it maybe it's not going so well. And in, in a lot of ways, there's, you know, quite a bit of inflation going on. You know, the, the, the covid policy has a lot of people up in arms, things like the vaccine mandate coming from Biden and things like that. Um, and then in Youngkin's case, we saw that he Uh, was able to really turn the screws on the Democrat this time around, Terry McAuliffe, on a couple of um, social policy issues that had a lot of sort of crossover appeal for, for Republicans of all stripes, whether they're the suburbanites or the, you know, more rural-based voters, um, with with just things like, um, you know, that he's not going to be implementing COVID vaccine mandates, and then a lot of things related to schools, um, just saying, you know, who's in, who, how much control do parents have over their own kids' education, um, sort of finding these issues uh, where his opponent had made some missteps and, and these sorts of social issues, and finding things that are kind of new bridge-building coalition issues. So I think if we look at sort of the, the last time around in, in Virginia as uh, evidence of Republicans having a hard time finding all their voters, this time around um, it's evidence that that you know in the Biden years, even though there is still a good amount of Republican infighting you know in Congress and things like that, it is possible to build that electoral coalition that you need to, to win even in even in you know more purple areas that, that are key to taking back Congress.
0: So let's talk about the Republican infighting a little bit, because for a lot of Americans and even people who are very plugged in, like those who listen to this podcast, you hear Republican infighting and you're kind of like, mm, who's, I mean, are people infighting? Is there an issue? Aren't we all unified in our opposition to the craziest presidential administration we've ever experienced? But there is some, isn't there? Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Well, and yeah, and, and, and a lot of it's just inside baseball. A lot of it kind of just depends on on how closely you're paying attention. I mean, if, if you are, I'll, I'll just give you one example from today. Today, there's a really nasty spat going on on Twitter, of all places, uh, between two Republican Congresswomen, Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia and Nancy Mace of South Carolina. And there's a lot of just kind of like personal bad blood being involved. It's There's a, a third Republican Congresswoman, Lauren Boebert, tweeted something, um, Kind of antagonistic about members of the, the Democratic squad, progressive Democratic members of the squad, calling the jihad squad. Nancy Mace took umbrage with that, didn't like that. Marjorie Taylor Greene was mad that Nancy Mace had been mad about that. And you have all of this kind of very public, increasingly nasty fighting going on, you know, right on public in the, in the public eye. And I think you're always going to see a little bit of that, um, and, and you're going to see more and more of it in times like these, where, again, I mean, you, it, it's hard to talk about where the Republican Party is today without um, realizing that there has been, you know, in the past five years, an enormous amount of kind of like personal infighting. And and, and it's it's not just ideological squabbling. It's it's that, you know, D.C. is kind of a small city. Um, when you When you think about it, you know, just in terms of the political circles, these people all know each other personally, have been kind of mad at each other over a lot of these fights, Um, you know, fights because they're very, you know, emotionally intense fights about loyalty to the party, about loyalty to the former president, um, things like that. And so there's a lot of personal animosity that is still kind of baked in. So even though we're in a moment where we know that it's possible for Republican leaders to kind of come together and create kind of a vision for what sort of a response to the Biden administration should look like in 2022, we still have all of the kind of Difficulties that are presented with the fact that a lot of people in the coalition just still can't stand each other, and I don't mean like you know like voters and and, and even activists and people out there, but but you know even just people in Congress, you can see still have a lot of a lot of you know uh, angst that they need to work through with one another. I mean like uh, like like go to therapy or something. I have no idea, but it, it does present a real impediment at time because this sort of thing is is obviously media catnip. Um, it's sort of like reality TV. And it's the kind of thing that does distract from keeping the focus on, on anything related to any of the issues that, that we've talked about. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a real problem. I have, no, I have no idea what the answer is going to be. Usually these things don't just sort of get better on their own. Um, but th- I guess the hope is that it's more apparent to people uh, like us who are you know just kind of like in the waves uh, every day, just kind of like paying attention to what's going on, every, every little micro-controversy and things like that. And I guess Things like this mostly just kind of like blow over for voters who have like other things on their minds, you know, other uh, bigger fish to fry than than you know, who's mad at who in Congress. Uh, so I guess the danger is just that it prevents people from from being able to work well with one another more so than than it actually, you know, necessarily turns voters off. But I do think, you know, the more that you're able to put those things in the rearview mirror and, and keep the, the crosshairs over the targets, the better off the result will be.
0: Yeah, and I think um, – so one of the, the the parts about this story with Nancy Mace and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert is I wouldn't call them a squad on the right, but they are the, the new the new uh, incoming congressional members. They are bringing in a lot of youth and vigor and very strong perspectives, and they're also leading the charge on communicating. They're speaking out, and then the comments that they make get picked up. And, you know, for better or for worse, they're circulated more widely than some of right. our other members, right? So, and and also they're women. And so they seem to be the Republican foil to the leftist squad. Um, and so there, there's a there's almost an intentional, um, it's like they magnify the comments of Mace and Taylor Green and Boebert, um, they magnify their comments, and maybe even skew them a little bit so that. A normally, I'd say, moderately incendiary comment is turned into, you know, World War Three, where apologies need to be made. And some of the comments are really they're they're out in left field. Some of the statements are uh, they seem like uh, unforced errors, but there there's a there's a kind of a desire to make them the right sided squad to match up to the left squad. And so I kind of pay attention to it, but I, I it's almost like that additional listening that you do when you know you have small kids in the next room over and you're just in the kitchen for a minute and you keep your ear peeled like what's going on and these women are capable i think they have a lot of of uh, great opportunity to make great legislation in the future i'm looking forward to seeing what they do but i do wish that they would keep their squabbles private because we have such bigger fish to fry with the Biden administration and the congressional members who are literally trying to turn America into a socialist country. Um so how how can Republicans actually message around mace taylor and and others or through them or you know how how can they get their act together to ensure that school choice and economic freedom and you know and and into the idea that we should ever be locked down again that that the republicans are running on those things um crt not being good for america those are winning issues how do they get that message out
1: so i think that the reality is that when it comes to these races these are the things people will be running on, right? Like when these people are going, when Nancy Mace goes home to her district and, you know, makes the pitch to her voters that they should send her back to D.C., she's not telling them, you know, send me back to D.C. so that I can, you know, keep getting in these fights with, with Marjorie Taylor Greene. So I, in, in that sense, it's it's sort of like a distracting <laughs> sideshow show um, because these are going to be the, the campaign issues. I think that the, the danger, where where the danger comes in and the thing that needs to be avoided is that because loyalty is so... Tightly bound up in all of these fights um, because that, that's the subtext of, you know, like who's kind of the, the real Republican, who's the effective Republican, who's the rhino, who's the, um, the squish, you know, all these sorts of things. The problem is that a lot of times when Republicans are tearing each other down in these ways, they make each other more vulnerable, and they—if if one person's calling another person a rhino, and one person's calling another a squish, and these sorts of things—these make them more vulnerable to primary challengers. They make them more vulnerable to, you know, kind of just like upstarts in, in their district, um, in in ways that, you know, we—it doesn't—the it, same kind of Republican can't run in every district in America and hope to, you, you know, you you let, let, let's put it this way: uh, if you had an entire caucus of Marjorie Taylor Greens. Uh, a Marjorie Taylor Greene is not going to win a race in in Nancy Mace's district, or or you know any any number of, sort of more purple districts around the country that are the kinds of districts that become, you know, the money making districts when it comes to who's going to control Congress. So the question always has to be, you know, how can we learn, and how can they, you know, the the actual policymakers learn to live with one another, even though there is a a wide difference of opinion on on a number of things. And I think the answer to that question is that you can't have too restrictive of a loyalty test of what counts as a a real Republican and then who gets written off as a rhino. You know what I mean?
0: Ah, well, so now, yeah. So the the loyalty test is, but that's not coming from members of Congress. That's actually coming from the ground. Um, So on the right, we've been burned quite a bit by individuals who cross over and help Democrats achieve legislative wins like the infrastructure package that just passed. Mm -hmm. It was a major, massive modern expansion of the regulatory state. To have that happen with the help of Republicans seemed a bit of a smack in the face to voters who were promised less regulation and more freedom. And this is right in, at what should be the end of the pandemic. We are now in the endemic phase, but instead Americans are hearing Omicron and the possibility of lockdowns again. And it's like, how could you even think about doing that again? The economy is barely even in recovery mode. So um, w- when you say we don't need like, you know, kind of rhino litmus tests, how far do you think that goes with with voters on the ground who are really looking for people who believe in something, who actually know what the Republican Party platform says? Right, right. So, so I, I take
1: your point, let me, and let me kind of clarify what I mean. I, obviously, what I'm not saying is that sort of anything goes when it comes to, you know, like, as long as they have an R next to their name, we should, you know, be happy with their performance or anything like that. I just mean, you know, insofar as it's possible to keep the litmus test And the, you know, kind of the make or break issues keep it to things like the policies and the votes that they take and things like that, as opposed to kind of like personal infighting. You know what I mean? Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she just uh, this afternoon, she sent out a tweet that was just sort of like, uh, I just had a great conversation with Donald Trump about Nancy Mays uh, and, and Donald Trump is a great leader and, you know, he's our leader and, and just sort of making it all about the personalities involved as opposed to taking a step back and being like, OK, like, let's sort of leave the personalities to decide if at all possible and focus on, you know, the the actual votes in question. I think that the, the infrastructure bill is, is a pretty interesting um, example of that, because even though, like you say, it's a it's a huge uh, social spending bill, and and you know makes this giant expansion of federal policy in a lot of ways. We really didn't see the kind of base groundswell that we've seen against certain other pieces of, of policy. Probably the easiest one to think about in, in my lifetime was just just Obama. I remember when Obamacare was passed, it was just enormous kind of like klaxon of. Fury from conservatives, and, and they kind of made their voices heard in a way that kind of shook the fear of God into a lot of a lot of elected leaders and things like that. Um, and not not to say that you know they're, they're pieces of legislation on the same level, but we didn't necessarily see that same kind of groundswell about uh, the infrastructure package. Um, and I think part of the reason for that is because on a certain level, a lot of us, both the people who make the news and the people who consume the news, are increasingly addicted to kind of like the junk food of the little infighting and things like that. And I mean, you know, not not even to accept myself from that. I mean, like I say, your eye is kind of like drawn to the the more like flashy uh, eye popping stuff, like the Twitter fights. And we've spent a lot of time talking about the Twitter fights just now because I said, I've been following along with this today and you're like, Okay, let's talk about that and, and it's mm-hmm. you know it's you, you get a lot of conversation out of it because it's personalities and it's flashy and, and all these sorts of things. Um, but it, I, I do think that there is a danger that, you know, loyalty to the various personalities and, and being like, that person seems like my kind of person and I kind of get them, I connect with them. That, that becomes more of the of the litmus test than that person has agreed to do the kinds of things that I have voted for them to go to Congress to do, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm, it does. and I, And so I actually don't mind... I don't mind talking about some of the vagaries of the individuals who've gone to Congress. I don't mind that. um, So some of this, if you think about it from a PR and, uh, you know, kind of keeping your name in the phrase standpoint, Nancy Mace having her name on the lips of Donald Trump as Marjorie Taylor Greene is having a chat with him. Um, they're kind of finding their true north and kind of marking their territory at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. one is honorable when you when you're saying, look, this is the, the the de facto head of the Republican Party, like it or not, for some people who aren't fans of President Trump, um, for those who are fans, it's like, hey, you know, she's going she's kind of going to the mountain and saying, look, we're having some issues and we need to tamp this down. And whether it's helpful or not, it also sends a message. And so voters are taking note that Marjorie is talking to Trump about Nancy and, you know, what? where does Bobert fall on that? And it is it, it does feel a little bit like reality television. But the fact is, this is going on all the time. Uh, Mitch McConnell is doing things like this all the time. He just does it silently via email or phone calls. He does not make right. a public display of it. By the time we find out he's been running back channel and holding meetings beyond the meetings, he's talking about it on the floor of the Senate and he's already made all of his moves and now he's announcing what he will or will not do with legislation or with, uh, you know, prospective pers- votes. So there, this is always going on. Sometimes it's good for Americans to kind of see this and especially on the right because we're supposed to be so dry and stuffy. A little bit of excitement out of Marjorie and Nancy and Lauren. It, it's its not the end of the world. But at the the nexus of what people care about is how these women will vote. And so if mm-hmm. all three of them vote well and vote on behalf of their constituents in ways that honor the Republican Party platform, then all of this has been entertainment that's for the good. It might be popcorn. We don't want to only eat popcorn three times a day, but popcorn once a week or you know once or twice a month, it's not bad for us. <laughs> even if it has butter on it and extra ranch right, season, right. We, can, we can handle it. So
1: right, um, I, yeah. I don't well, see
0: it as being all bad.
1: But I think I think the point you make is, and the comparison with McConnell is is good, which is just sort of what's it for, right? I mean, it, it, uh-huh. if if the actual aim and the actual result is you know sort of like the furtherance of of this, that, or the other thing, I'd, I'd be very skeptical that the kind of meltdown today. Is that? Um, but but <laughs> yeah. you know, if, if, you know, take it. Take any other. Take any other kind of popcorn issue that you're talking about. Um, if, if if ultimately the furtherance of that is the furtherance of the policy and and all those sorts of things, well and good. And like you say, the the meetings with McConnell, uh, those sorts of things tend to have that aim. But I do think that you know you have to remember that that is not the only kind of motivating force. And I mean, these people are, I mean, politicians are personalities, right? I mean, they have brands to maintain uh, and constituencies to keep interested, whether those are their voters or just kind of like, especially in, in sort of like the social media era, your, uh, you know, kind of social constituency of you as a a personality is not necessarily the same as your uh, just sort of voters, you know, you're the the people who are electing you, because those people might not be paying attention to you on Twitter. uh, And those are the people you're going to need to go back to, you know, to get reelected. But you have maybe this other wider set of very online people, uh, who are paying attention to the inviting and stuff. And you also, you know, might be able to build sort of brand cachet with them in terms of just being a personality, which has its own set of benefits in terms of, you know, getting invited on TV and, and things like that. Um, so <laughs> right. I, I do think it, it's just important to keep these things teased out and, and, you know, just kind of commend the good behavior and, and call it the bad, I guess I would say.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I, I, so I'm, I'm not opposed to calling it out, Um, there is a certain element of having to compete with the Democrats have their PR arms already set out, and they're all the time 100% on their side. So in order to make traction and to make waves, a little bit of this infighting, it it, kind of makes me wonder, you know, are we seeing a little bit of theater here? Is this all, you know, them, them, or, or is it for a purpose to get uh, eyeballs on on their issues or on what they're discussing for mm-hmm. later, and and only time will tell. We'll we'll probably have to kind of uh, look at the weekend, and you know, as we're scrolling through Twitter, oh yeah, Andrew and I were just talking about this. Looks like they mm-hmm. actually are going to announce something, which that would be a relief to me. Hopefully, this all does have a purpose behind it. Um, so as as we're closing out here, I just. I, I'm interested because you write for The Dispatch, and I saw that you guys had a major announcement with a couple of, I guess they're the founders maybe of The Dispatch. They said they were leaving Fox News over some disagreements with their They were their contributors there, and they were leaving because they felt like there were some disagreements over some of the content. Um, how do you see the media landscape on the right shaping up as we're going into 2022? Obviously, there's Fox News, Newsmax, and OAN. But how else do you see things kind of congealing or breaking apart in that direction when we talk about media on the right?
1: Oh, man. That is uh, kind of a million dollar question, right? <laughs> Gosh, I wish, I wish I had a good answer. I have no idea. I, I like one of the things that I like about my job at our kind of product is that it's a little more niche. I mean, it's, it's you know, we're, we're a newsletter website. We have a, uh, you know, thirty thousand paying subscribers, and and hopefully you know more and more. Um, but we're we're catering to like a pretty small audience of people who are just kind of like on board with with our way of thinking about things, who you know appreciate the product that we're offering and things like that. And so we approach um, media from a very different standpoint of a, of people like um, Fox News who are trying to kind of like you know cover the whole sweep, the whole kind of like. Kit and caboodle of, of sort of right wing uh, constituencies, right, and have to approach issues very differently in that way. I honestly have no idea. I have no idea what to expect, um, other than uh, that. Unfortunately, I do think that the the kind of junk food stuff that we've been talking about uh, does does have a tendency to you know grab your eyeballs, and that's just that's even more true in media than it is in politics, or at least as true in media as it is in politics. Um, it's you know it's it's uh, you 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 never uh, nobody ever went hungry uh, uh, selling selling the junk food in media um, but but hopefully uh, hopefully you know we will be able to see the, the sort of sticking to the to the issue you know you hope Springs eternal I guess I'll say that's uh that's you know it, it doesn't doesn't matter how long how how often it's been that way in the past maybe maybe the future will be different
0: mm, yes well I hope springs eternal um, I, I believe that God looks, likes to surprise us so just when we think we are kind of down and out and you know politics will always be the same, then you see new entrants into the political arena, or you see people who have always behaved in one way behaving in a completely different way and kind of cracking up, if you will. And so I always think to myself, oh, look, you're giving me something completely different than what I've expected. Thank you, Lord. This is exciting and scary, but thank you. <laughs> so I like the so, way um, you think. I
1: like the way you think. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that.
0: Well, I definitely, I, I kind of take it that way because, um, and you're on the beginning of this journey. Children have taught me that everything is an adventure, <laughs> so, so once you start having them, which you 're already now you're you 're in, you're in the game you 're in the game with us um, you'll you 'll find that the adventure only grows as they get bigger that they start talking and expressing themselves that there 's so much to look forward to there's a there 's a tinge of um, exhilarating fear. Um, but there's also utter excitement because you just don't know what they're going to do. So uh, I'm so glad that we had a chance to to have you here on the podcast. I hope you'll join us again. I look forward to seeing your next writings uh, post-paternal leave. And I'm, I'm very excited for you and your family as you guys are starting out with this new journey, new adventure.
1: Well, th- thank you. And thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: So we've had a great chat with Andrew Egger, staff writer at The Dispatch. I have the link to their newsletter site over at Substack in the show notes for today's podcast. You can find him on Twitter at EggerDC, at E-G-G-R-D-C. So glad to have you with us today. And I want to encourage you to head over to StacyOnTheRight.com and subscribe to my newsletter. So we will talk to you again soon, Lord willing. Until then, God bless and have a great day.